This week's episode is brought to you by Snow, because I got some this week. Probably the only time all year. And an avalanche is a whole mountain load of snow. Eh? You, you see, because... Safe to say, this top line is the best in the league. Yeah, we are. As McCarr jumps in, moves it and shoots back! Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for February 10th, 2020. Coming up on the show, the Colorado Avalanche hit the road, and the tough line does almost nothing, really. But they've won a bunch of games this week anyway. We'll break down how, plus, Kale McCarr is a nav. But before we play the whoosh, your disembodied voices for the week. Say hello to Earl. Hello, Earl. Hello, friends. Say hello to Jackie. Hello, Jackie. Hello, hello. And back again is Rudo. Hello, Rudo. Finally back. Thanks for having me on again. We start the show as usual with a quick standings check as we sit here on Sunday afternoon, the 9th, before the good guys wrap up their trip in Minnesota. Whatever happened in that game, you will not find out here, because we've gone back in time to before Puck dropped. Sorry. Weekend back-to-backs are hell on our recording schedule. The Avs sit second in the Central. Depending on what happened against the stupid Wild, they're between one and three points up on the Stars, and between three and five points back of the Blues. The Pacific is still a cluster, with Vancouver at 65, Edmonton and Vegas at 64, then Calgary at 62 standings points. Winnipeg sits in the final wildcard spot somehow at 61, with a game less played than Arizona, who's also at 61. The rest of the Central are within three points of there, then there's a big gap, and then there's all the California teams. The Philadelphia Flyers have 67 points and are sitting outside the playoffs. That would lead the Pacific Division by a full game with a game in hand. Cool. Format. Yo. Yeah, the East is pretty insane this year. Like, I don't know what happened or why they decided to get so good, but glad I'm not in the East or don't watch a team in the East. Put it that way. Okay, I've been wondering about this for a while now, and if you look at how bad the bottom few teams are in the East, I think that explains some of this discrepancy. Now, obviously, a lot of the East teams do well against the Western Conference, and that's where some of this comes from, but I, I think a bunch of it comes from having haha, Detroit and a couple other teams that just aren't doing so hot, so... I mean, I mean the, Cal- Det- the California teams are bad, but they're not that bad. They're pretty bad. Detroit is a special brand of bad, but they're very special. Anaheim and Los Angeles, and they're right around the same place that New Jersey is. Yeah, Detroit beat Boston yeah. today. Again, just let that simmer. I guess I, <laughs> even the bad teams win a few good games. I don't know. <laughs> that was such a trap game. Well, the whole East being better than the West would come in handy if the Avs keep their first round pick because if they don't win the division and they don't go to the conference finals then all those east teams are going to slot behind them for for the draft pick the long angle you love to see it colorado wrapped up a five-game road trip last night and we can talk about four of those games on saturday the first a very rusty Avs team lost to the Philadelphia Flyers, 6-3 your final. Nikita Zadorov, Miko Rantanen, and Andre Barakovsky, your goal scorers. The Avs gave up goals 5-on-5, five five, on the power play, and on the penalty kill, and into an empty net. Philip Grubar with a cool 8-1-5 save percentage on the night. Fun. 
we knew this one was going to be a bit of a mess after the long break. And it was. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah, I think the hope was the that Philly playing on the back-to-back would, would equal that out, but it it really doesn't. <laughs> I mean, the uh, rust is, is very evident. I don't know. That game was dumb. Like, they came out and completely dominated Philly for the first 10 minutes, and then a meme goal happened, and they just totally lost it. <laughs> Yeah, the the first ten minutes they definitely were very dominant, and you're like, oh great! I mean, you know, no rust here. We're gonna have a you know fine game, and everyone's gonna play well, and we can outscore these guys no problem. And then it just, pfft, it, it, they just weren't able to cope after that. And you know, is that conditioning? Is that just the rust, or you know, what did you guys see as far as why that that tailed off so bad? What was generating chances, but they weren't finishing them. So you could say, was it luck? Was it rust? Why they couldn't finish? Like, I mean, even though the like that game did start pretty well, and I was honestly kind of expecting the Avalanche to, to get it together and end up winning that game before, you know, the whole, like, back half of the second period happened, it, it really didn't feel like they were so much as generating chances as almost generating chances. If that makes sense, like they they just couldn't quite connect on on anything, and that that's really where that rust kind of shows up. And I was kind of figuring that you know about a half hour into the game, some of those near misses would turn into one timers, and you know then the Avalanche can pull something out. But obviously that isn't what happened. But I don't know if it was Whoa. so much like that. Even though they were controlling play, they didn't like look good at all doing yeah. The rust on the defensive end was particularly evident. Like their breakouts were just atrocious in the second yeah. and third periods of that game. And this is something that we've talked about on the Discord a little bit. If you're hanging out there, um, Ryan Graves' horseshoe fell out, man. Since the start of February, he is the lowest Corsi four percentage on the Avalanche at forty-four percent, and. It just has not been very pretty for him the past handful of games, and that hurts the Avs D significantly. Uh, in that game, Kale McCarr couldn't carry the load. The rest of the week he did, but that one was rough. Yes, I do and, remember the turnovers. Yeah, and, and we'll get to this when we get to the Columbus game, but it looks like the staff have finally figured this out, too. Sure hope so. Because, I mean, Ryan Graves has benefited all season long from really good goaltending behind him. And one of the very first thing that internet hockey stats people figured out was that that's not sustainable season to season. Like, one defender cannot influence save percentage. Um, so once that starts to fall back down, then all of a sudden you're going to notice all these little plays because he's not getting bailed out anymore. And yeah, I mean, that, you can hide it with usage, but still, I mean, it, the actual influencing of save percentage is is not real in the long term. Well, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do, right? Uh, Graves is someone who's a third-pairing defenseman. Like, let's just be honest about it. I don't think he can handle a second-pairing role every single night, despite the Evs trying him there for a significantly long time. And... That's what's going to happen. The the stats are going to normalize and maybe even swing in the other direction direction when he gets overused. So hopefully the Abs have figured that out. And it, it's a tough situation because who do the Abs trust to be on that second pair next to Makar? Obviously, you have EJ and Sam in the top four. Uh, 
Zadorov, Cole, Graves on any given night, they can have brain farts. So it's kind of tough to fill that fourth spot right now. I think a yeah, lot of us don't seem to want of, Z there either. That, that's yeah, that's where I'm going too. Is, is Z? A lot of us look at the success that Z Barry had and say, why don't we just keep forcing this until it works? But the, the coaching staff are extremely loath to do that. And it, you, when you're looking at trying to have somebody that Makar can play next to and you know predict what his games are going to be like, like. I'm not sure if there's any defender more inconsistent than Zadorov right now. Like, like he'll be outstanding tonight, and then just like below replacement level tomorrow. He's been pretty consistent with scoring, and I know it's a small sample size, but just over the past you know five six games, um, he started scoring for some reason after not for the entire season. Um, you know, and if that's sort of what the the staff wants to see to maybe make that change to put Zadorov with Makar, uh, I'm all for it. At least trying it and just to see if it's going to make a difference over having Graves out there with McKinnon and, and Landeskog and Miko all the time. Um, you know, because I, I really do think that the Graves being out there with the top line is part of why they're struggling. Not not the whole thing, obviously, but it, it doesn't help. Oh, we've talked numerous times on this show about what Ryan Graves on the Kale McCarr pairing does because you you want someone who's going to enable McCarr and you know let him be Kale McCarr, but more often than not, we've seen Ryan Graves trying to to carry the puck out or pinching in, and and you don't want Kale McCarr covering for his partner. There was a time this week, I think it was maybe the Ottawa game, where Graves was behind the net. And it, and then the very next shift, Makar finally rushed the puck. It, it was almost like he was frustrated, <laughs> and he was saying, "It's my turn now. I'm I get to do something offensive." Well, right, and also w- when you have a guy like Graves, who's you know supposedly the defensive anchor on that pairing, he's cannibalizing a little bit from Makar, but I, I think he's also cannibalizing a little from what the top line wants to do. Um, you know, when he's shooting from the point, that means that Miko and Mac don't have the puck. So I, I think the want. problem with Graves in that top line is he's slow. Yeah, his feet are slow, and the top line is not that. The top line wants to jump on the rush hard, and Graves just slows them down. So, yeah, he's he's not going to create space for them. So it's just it's it's tough for everybody. And I hate to say it, because, I mean, he has done a fair job over the, yeah, the course like of the season. Yeah, like 100%. Graves has yeah. earned an NHL job. It's just don't play him over his head. Yeah. yeah and not, for me, I don't feel nickel. like Zadorov makes more mistakes than he does. So Zadorov brings a little bit more of that physical element that I think, like you said, might create space for the top line. And that is an interesting thought that I don't think we've even discussed online is that the top line struggles might be that whole five man unit kind of I thing. Mean, yeah, like, I've been I, thinking that for a couple weeks. <laughs> I really feel like this team like did a pit stop in Ottawa and had their six D and like looked out across the plains to the west and waved at Bowen Byram like, come soon please <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you've got Zadorov breaking to the net and putting backhands in the five hole, um, you know that's that seems to be a better option than than what Graves is doing out there. And then I, I know that Zadorov's not going to do that much, 
But again, it, I, I think just changing it up and seeing if it makes a difference for Landeskog and Mako and, and Mac is worth it because they're you know they're kind of struggling right now. It's fun when he does though. It is. All of his goals are great. All <laughs> they of really are. Goals are like the most unexpected but joyous, and they're all like these great plays. Like a Zadorov goal is is like this little beacon of light that shines every once in a while. Especially when they don't get called back. <laughs> that's too. That's why it's even extra heartbreaking when one doesn't count. Because <laughs> you've got this big old mean dude whose you know, whole reputation around the league is that he's going to destroy you at the blue line, and suddenly he's doing handsy things with the puck in the, in the low slot, and you're just going, what? <laughs> Every single time, it's it's fantastic. On the rest of the trip through the Eastern Conference, the Avalanche outscored their opponents 12-3. So, that's fun. Starting with a 6-1 dismantling of the Buffalo Sabres, who really looked like they'd rather be anywhere else other than in that rink. Each Avalanche yeah. goal was scored by a different player, including Burakovsky, Zadorov, Franson, and Nazem Kadri, Valeri Natushkin, and Sam Gerrard. And one of the silliest goals you'll see. <sighs> Yeah, the, that one was uh, wild, <laughs> to say the least. Was this the yeah, abs? that was fun. Was, was, was this the Avs kicking ass or the Sabres rolling over? Yes. Uh, I mean, I think we've seen some teams roll over before, but this was this was something that I don't know if I remember that well from the Avs' terrible season. The ass kicking led to the rolling over. Somewhere between that Zadorov nuke goal. That was that was about it for them. But I think they do have some talent. They have Eichel, you know, have you heard of him? And uh he gets he's having a good season. He but he just never seems to play well against the Avs. And this was this game was no exception. I've heard everybody wants to trade for him. <laughs> they sure do. Reinhardt should be the real target, and even he's a pipe dream, but that's okay. We're not trading with Buffalo. The Abs can go trade with Anaheim or something. <laughs> this was like the Abs earning some sort of day camp, which was this game against <laughs> Buffalo. It was just—it's <laughs> like they get to try all the cool stuff that they learned about in morning skate and practice, and actually get to do it in a real game and score goals. It was just. <laughs> Buffalo played really soft too, and yeah, it's definitely not the way to beat the Avs. <laughs> and that, and that's kind of tough because it's it's one of the few times you really do get some national media it, it, at least have the option of coming down to Buffalo from Toronto to take a look at, at the Avs. And it you know the the story ended up being you know how bad Buffalo phoned it in and the dude calling into the the radio show <laughs> and, and having his rant and everything like that. Um, you know, it, it's it's not the Avs' fault that the, that Buffalo is terrible in this game, but you know they did play well. Yeah, I mean, they made one mistake, which is a mistake they're making consistently of late, which is bad news. <laughs> but outside of that, the Avs did everything they were supposed to do and and easily won that game. The main thing they didn't do in that game was get the seventh goal. You you've got to hit your extra point. 
I mean, yeah. that's, that's true. <laughs> gotta, gotta kick the field goal. I guess it's through the uprights, not a field goal. Big old football fans in here. Well, XFL's on now. They can run a play to get the seventh point. It's fine. It's what? obviously refreshing to have a game like this, but then as we'll get into the next game, then you kind of yearn for a little bit of competitiveness. I mean, winning's great. Winning's always great, but doesn't make a great game to watch. <laughs> yeah, on Thursday, the Avs held the Ottawa Senators to no shots on goal for over 18 minutes and still <laughs> came out of the first period tied one-to-one somehow. Yeah, I mean, because of their consistent mistake, about <laughs> two inches from being down in the end of that first period, but they got the yeah. goal called back because of the kick. But yeah. yeah, it's three goals and a fake goal in the last minute of the first period over these games. Which that's yeah, bad. against against good teams, that's way too much momentum change. Yeah, you can overcome it against bad teams, but. I felt like Ottawa played. They definitely played harder than Buffalo, but it was it was still garbage time by the third period. Yeah, this one was still a no doubter. They came out on top four one. Nachushkin another goal, plus tallies from Matt Nieto, Kale McCarr, and JT Comfer. Kale McCarr was absolutely nutty in this game, pals. Goal and an assist, yeah, first yeah. star of the night. Shout out to Kale. He Dead looks five like- shots on goal. <laughs> when he gets to play against a team that has questionable defense, he just looks like a dog that's been taken off the leash at the dog park. He just looks like he is having so much fun going up and down the ice. Just looks refreshed. Well, I mean, he played poorly against Philly and then, you know, didn't really get involved in the bonanza against Buffalo. So he basically just went into that Ottawa game and said, I'm taking over. I'm going to do all the things, and, and y'all just have to watch me dominate now. I and I think that was the game he, he got tired of watching Graves with Pinch. Well, yeah, I, mean, I, just, I, I think that's part of it, because you know he hasn't been generating the amount of shot volume that he was earlier in the year, and, and he had five shots in that game. And it just... I, I think the staff would love to see him sort of take a game by the scruff of the neck like that more often. And and I think he's realizing, first of all, how to do that in the NHL and when to do it. So it's just, you know, it's part of the learning process for him. Well, I, I think, think that's the beginning of the end of that pairing as well. We saw Bednar go yeah. with the turn and burn pairing. It was just for a shift or two in the first period. But to do it that early in a tie game is a little bit of a break from the norm for them. Yeah, I mean, you usually see that after um, a penalty kill, but just seeing it just a, a regular five-on-five shift, it, you know, you, you know that they're sort of looking at some options. And I feel like McCarr needs to warm back up after a break. It's It seemed that way after his injury, and then I think the two weeks off, he also needs a little bit of time to get rolling again, and I think he's found it. He's the anti-Rantanen. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> so he's somebody who needs to get that groove going and then once he's in it it's hard to shake him out of it yeah I feel like that's just the abs as a whole yeah I think him in particular it has been though I think Miko is that way in a big way too which which makes it tough this season because he cannot get into that groove with, with that ankle injury and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later um, but finally, for this show's purposes, on Saturday, Colorado stopped by the Columbus Blue Jackets. 
for one of the most cursed games we've seen all season. At times, barely watchable. Officiating was a complete mystery. Outshot 32-22 against the season's rookie goaltending cheat code of Smirzlikens, but they still find a way to come out on top, 2-1, with big goals from Kadri and from Nathan McKinnon. That's 31 saves from Grubauer if you don't feel like doing that math yourself, even though most of us, myself among them, looked at that one goal he did allow, like, holy cow, dude, that has to be saved. So, whatever. Well, job well done overall. 16 saves in the third period alone will erase a lot of bad memories. And that's the week, again, we're talking before the Wild game. So, d- did that game suck as hard for y'all as it did for me? I think during it, it it felt like such a struggle. But looking back, it was pretty satisfying because oh. yeah, they were that able game was to awesome. finally come back in the third period. They won a low. What was this, the first game all year that they've won without scoring three goals? Is that right? Did I hear that right? It's definitely their first third period comeback win. Yeah. And they need to be able to find out, figure out how to win in this style of game. Very defensive, tight, a heavy checking game. And then as we just talked about with Makar, and then that he was able to impact a game that was so tight like this, I think is exactly what you want to see. So it would have been nice to kind of marinate on this game for a few days, but we have a back-to-back and it'll be soon forgotten. But looking back, this was a pretty good win. I mean, yeah, the game was awful, but it still felt really, really good. And in Doctor Strange's 14,605 universes or whatever, there's about 12 million of them where the just blow Columbus out in this game. Like, they hit five posts, so... Was that the Very easily. Yes, if you count the, the Burkowski shot as two, it's five posts. Well, that was a save and two posts. Because <laughs> it could have went shoulder bar post. Yeah, so... I'd... I think the... The interesting thing about this game for me was looking at the shot chart um, from Micah uh, this morning. And the Avs had literally no shots from the slot and only one shot from below the circles, which was from Kale McCarr, a defenseman. Um, I I think part of that is Columbus and and Tortorella's system is very good at clogging up the middle in front of the net and just not allowing teams to operate there. And, you know, that's a great strategy. Um. And I think the Avs are, you know, I, I think they take the easy way out last night and just didn't try to get uh, through that kind of miasma. And, and they're, you know, they love shooting from the point and from all kinds of areas where you don't score very often. But, um, you know, I, I think that's why it looked so tough for them for so long is because they weren't working down low enough to, to get those slot shots that they really needed to score. And then what yeah. finally happened was their shooting talent showed up. Pretty and they were much. able to shoot in a couple of goals from far out. And there you have yep. it. That Nathan um, McKinnon goal was like... I don't know what that was. Yeah, was dude, I wish they had... Laser-guided like, missile. Yeah, at least that, 105 miles an hour on that thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I mean, like, Elvis is lucky that it didn't go through his shoulder, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Which, I, like... I am not afraid of Columbus at all. Obviously, the Avs would never play them in the playoffs, barring like something insane in the Cup Finals. But that Columbus team just felt so fake to me. I agree like, completely. 
Well, they try know. to win every game two to one or one nothing. So it's just yeah, I you know I, I I applaud them for having a great defensive system, but that just it's they're not well rounded enough to be dangerous. There's they have a certain formula. There's other teams cough Islanders cough that. Yeah, but the Islanders strategy. have Mitch Corn and a defend a goalie that isn't like flopping like a fish the entire game and just getting lucky. Yeah. Yeah, the Islanders do what the Blue Jackets do well. That's, That's also the yeah, Arizona right. playbook: play tight defense and hope for above average goaltending. That's kind of the stars too. It's is it a strategy that'll win you a cup? Maybe not, but I think it's still a tough type of team to play against especially for the abs i yeah maybe in a single game but if you got them in a seven game series i feel like it goes exactly how it went against mike smith yeah and i think in a seven game series that that's something that jared bednar has shown that like if he has time to break down a team um he's gonna find a strategy to do what he wants to do and i i, I think the abs would end up rolling a little bit it was probably helpful that Bednar and the coaching staff watched that game in Columbus the night before. Well, it's Detroit, so... <laughs> Still, to be able to see the way they play in the systems up close and personal yeah. might have been the difference in them I, finally cracking the code. One thing I watched was... that game, and I... I immediately identified their power play system as the same as the Avs, so I figured that was going to be a wash. And... Yo, and then they opened the first period by giving out, like, four power plays. That's half why this game was impossible to get into. Because it's just like, yeah. let's watch the terrible power play for eight minutes. Yeah. Okay. Let's watch. Pass. Yeah, let's. <laughs> I didn't understand. I mean, did did Miko do, do something to one of the guy's wives or something? I mean, that was just ridiculous efficient. <laughs> he just called for like the softest joke of yeah. interference, followed by a, a hook that didn't happen. Yeah. That and like, was... David Savard is like karate chopping him in the neck with his stick, and it's just like, you know, call that maybe, too? I don't know. There, there's yeah, a he had every right to be mad at that game. <laughs> there's a trend in the National Hockey League where, where teams whose goal is to shut you down and obstruct you, they're just allowed to do it. But if that's not your main game plan, when you do it, it's a penalty. Right, it's ridiculous. It drives it's you batty. It, yeah, it's dumb. It inflates teams like Minnesota, like Columbus, like, I mean, even St. Louis to some extent, even though they're just a good team in general. Like they get boost from that kind of crap. It's really frustrating. Yeah. But one thing that was really encouraging to me about this game is after the Avalanche did take that lead in the third, it looked like the team's roles completely switched because for the rest of the third period, not it's Columbus who couldn't do anything because there was always an Avalanche stick in the way. And not just that, they kept their foot on the gas. They didn't try to sit back in this one, and that was nice. Well, there's only like four minutes left, so I think that's they figured. Still, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's four minutes where it's really easy not to do anything. You that, know? the whole third period was weird. It was a really pretty terrible period for the Avs until they scored. But um, the the defensive side was interesting. Like, I do think the Avs shut it down well, but also it just straight up exposed Columbus. Like, once they fall behind, they don't have any high end forward talent at all. Yeah. Because, I mean, Columbus definitely had fumbleitis with the puck, where, like, in some third-period collapses we've seen 
maybe in December and early January, you know, th those were pucks that the other team captured and, and took into the, the zone and set up, whereas I mean, Columbus didn't. The ice must have just been terrible that whole game because there were just players falling down on the ice all over the place for both teams. It was just bad. Bouncing pucks, passes that yep. don't quite make it through, and yeah. There was all kinds of unwatchability factors that were very high in this game, and I definitely agree the ice could have been one of them. Yeah. Somebody in the uh, somebody in the game day channel suggested that there may end up being a Columbus New York Islanders playoff series this year, which sounds Ooh. torturous. Well, I'm not watching the Islanders more than one more time, regardless of who they are playing. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> so I called McKinnon's name for that last game. We talked about that ridiculous shot that he scored on for the, for the game winner. But otherwise, it's a very quiet week for the all three-headed monster. They combined for two of the team's 15 goals. Only six Does assists. Does the one where they passed to Graves for one count? Yeah. Only, <laughs> only six assists. We can take this in two different directions. How come the top line isn't producing like we would hope so far after the All-Star break? And how do we fix that? Or, behind door number two, Colorado won three out of four on the road anyway. How? Boy, that's second like they, line. I feel like it's been... Whew. <laughs> well, yeah, that's one thing too. I think it's been more than since the All Star break that the top line hasn't really produced at five on five. They're they pad their stats a little bit with some power play points, but five on five it has not been much for probably at least the last ten games. And yes, the, yeah. having a real second line come together and show up is a big difference because there's only so much you can get from Calvert and Nieto. Comfer and those guys who will chip in and go here and there, but hopefully this is the beginning of a real consistent second line. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I've been very impressed with Nichushkin's play up there. I, I think that he's sort of completed the chemistry we've been looking for between Kadri and Burakovsky, which is sort of gelled a little bit as well, but that line seems to have a little bit of everything now. Um, and I like Donskoy there a little bit, but I, I think having a big guy like Nachushkin that can do, you know, sort of a, a lot of the same things, but just in a different style that, that Burakovsky and, and Kadri kind of need uh, really works well. And I like that it's finding more of a home for Burakovsky. Donskoy could do it, but he's better as a jack-of-all-trades, can kind of put him on every line. And I feel like Burakovsky really hadn't had a home until now with this line. And it's getting a lot more usage out of him. And then he's obviously producing, like he's produced the most five-on-five five in the last ten games, like, by far. And so I think it's important that he's found a home like that because they need, that's what's going to need to happen for him to continue to produce. And that's good because he hadn't been for a minute. Yeah. And I think it'll help alleviate some of the streakiness because he does tend to, to score in bunches. Like I think he has just as many one point games as multi-point games. <laughs> so he, <laughs> it's very comfort-esque. Well, he shows up more often than Comfort. Yeah, he does. But, he does but. feel a little bit like P.A. Parento, right? Where you stick him with talent and leave him there long enough, he'll figure it out and get his points. 
but the abs needed to to find a consistent place for him and now that they have it's it's coming together yeah for sure and and like girl said it, it's a little bit of everything on the line you have nuke who's doing some of the dirty work he's great getting in front of the net with that screen and he even made a few plays these past few games so that that's nice to see some really nice passes and then Kadri's the one that elevates it, puts it all together. And the Chushu yeah, I mean, has having... just done nothing but prove people wrong all year long, and I really hope that he never loses that chip off his shoulder. Even if he doesn't stay with the Avalanche next season, like he's been a fun player to watch. Yeah, and I think and he, he definitely we should. would have said even recently we would have said that Nachushkin would be a little over his head on that line. I and he really hasn't been. <laughs> yeah. Um and you know, he looks really good there. I mean, you just, you're wondering, like, God, what did Dallas do to this guy? <laughs> I guess, Nuke, like, how, it's tough to say without seeing. I'd have to look and watch a game for, or two from him from Dallas last year, so I can't say what it is, but it, obviously confidence is a big part of it, and just that the Avs gave him a role, trusted him, left him in it. And then as he's continued to get better, they've given him more and more, and I, he's rediscovering some of that skill and playmaking. And it just, he knows who he is, he knows what he's good at, and as a bonus, it's something the Avs have not had in a long time. They've wanted to have that big body, defensive, with enough skill, and they just have not been able to find that guy whatsoever. Yeah, I think it's pretty incredible. You have two guys who are basically fourth liners on other teams last year, and they come in and they're, you know, at least right now, are producing well on a second line role. Um, I, I thought it was also interesting that um, McFarlane was at the CBJ or the the Columbus um, Analytic Conference yesterday, speaking about how uh, their analytics affect their scouting and they I. They identified Burkowski as a guy that's very good in transition through analytics and passed it on to the pro scouts, and they liked what they saw too. And that's, you know, that, that was, that started the ball rolling on why they acquired him. Which you like, it is interesting to get inside like that. And maybe with Nuke, it was some of the defensive numbers, but I know we had gone through them right after they signed him and some of it could have been just explained as the typical no event defense, but yeah. hey, if that was the reason why they looked into nuke, kudos to them. But I still feel like as much as the Avs have embraced analytics and are using it to make their decisions, they do still make decisions like Broussard and there's absolutely no way that analytics influenced that decision. Yeah, McFarland actually said that they like using analytics, but when the analytics in the in the pro scouts' eyeballs don't match up, then they have to sort of back check somehow. And and you know that that's going to be an evolving process. I mean, to flip the script to the other side of the question, did Nuke really just space jam Gabe Landeskog? <laughs> <laughs> He's got more assists than Gabe Landeskog, and he doesn't play with Nathan McKinnon. Because if we're talking about reasons the first line has struggled, it's not Nathan McKinnon. He's been an animal. Sure, he's been a little bit quiet after the All-Star break, but that dude has been like carrying this team for a good 20 games. 
So, you know, he's not going to do it every night, and then he shows up in Columbus and gets the game winner. Rantanen has been okay, I think. Since he's the, the worst point-per-game player in the league, I always say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, with McKinnon, it, it's tough. I, I don't feel like he's just been completely awesome. I think one thing I really hate about McKinnon's game is the, the hanging out at the point thing. And, and yeah, he's, he's picking up some points from there, but I, I think in the long run, that's not helping him. I just, so I think that whole philosophy. I, is I felt garbage. that way as well, and then he just keeps scoring from there, and I'm like, "Well, okay, <laughs> right." But I, I just is that getting is that not getting Miko and and Gabe involved enough? And, and that's just, that's the only reason I can think of. I don't. I don't think like, that's his decision. I it think might even be a process of intentionally not getting Gabe involved because it's just ugly every time he touches the puck lately. He had an assist this week, I think. He had two, <laughs> but they were terrible. Like he also had the turnover that led to Columbus's goal. So yeah. What? Which game was it that he that Landy was terrible in this week? I I think it was the Ottawa game. Ottawa game. game. <laughs> yeah, the Ottawa turnover was alarming. It was more than just that too, but it's. I think this gets back to something that. Earl's pounded the table about is you got to know when to break up that line for your own good. And it is tougher now with that second line solidified. So you're not going to use any of those players, but I think McKinnon needs like Don Scoy right now. I think he needs something else because I think his game has suffered since um, Landis Cog and Rantanen have been back and he does still have a lot of points, but he could have had a lot more and he's not really doing a whole lot on five on five and he could be doing so much more. Well, so the thing is, I think Rantanen is finally remembering that he's allowed to shoot the puck, which is helping a little bit. <laughs> That's um, key. But the Landeskog side of it. Yeah, I don't, you gotta like try and put him on the third line or, or something maybe right now because it's it's not a fit and I do wonder part of this might be that this has been on the defensive side the best season of Nathan McKinnon's career that I've seen he he has significantly improved on the defensive side of the puck this year and I wonder if Landeskog is a little bit lost because McKinnon can cover his own ass now and I even feel like McKinnon has slumped a little defensively since I'll turn that around. The beginning of this, the the calendar year. I'll turn that around and say that Nate's had to do that because Landy's been so bad. And, and that's I, I think possible, that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think part of it. All right. He had an LBI. We know that. We don't know exactly what it was. He won't say. That's that's probably affecting his speed to some extent, just like it is with Miko. So you got two injured guys, and I also think that Landy had a shoulder problem last year, and he deferred getting surgery and, and tried to work it out, and maybe that's not happening so good either. And I hate to use injuries as an excuse, but it just he doesn't look physically as good as he did last year. So is a child an injury? <laughs> yes. That's yeah, a, and then that there's that too. Lower body injury. <laughs> so I mean, there's a lot going on, and it's just it's probably more or less a lost season for him at this point, but. Yeah, you know, I, I, I do think in February. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um, think before he got his last point, he had the same number of points as Ian Cole. Which, yes, he's playing. I mean, Cole like, is killing it though. Okay, but still, 
Yeah, he's playing ten, like ten fewer <laughs> games, but still, he's in the place where Calvert, Cole, Nuke reside in in the in the stats in the team stats, and it's just alarming. Yeah. I mean, you did just name three guys who are having career years, but the point is still valid. Well, it's. Well, okay, the other thing is this team scores so much that everyone is getting that point windfall, except for probably Jost and Landy. Yeah, let's keep that in mind as we talk about trades and stuff in the next couple of weeks. The Avalanche are the number one scoring team in the National Hockey League. And have been all year. So so stop (laughs) trying to add scoring. Oh no, we're adding scoring. Don't worry. (laughs) <laughs> it's a mistake I don't know if it's a mistake as long as it's the right move I don't but, think I mean, if you can right walk move, down the street and pick up a dollar bill that's great but the, go the for key it. to this conversation is don't go and get an expiring UFA but yeah so Landeskog has been a been having a messy season and, and that's been pretty well known I think we need to have the conversation about making sure everyone's expectations for Miko Rancidon are adjusted like, it's pretty clear at this point that the high ankle injury is taking him just about as long to recover from as you would expect. Yeah, and he's still a even... point per game. <laughs> yes. And then like... where are you going to put the new person? It... You're just going to break up the second line because you went and bought somebody? We were just Ending talking goal about how goals. you could put Donskoy on the top line. Just put it on the top line. Like, it grants so much more versatility. And then who comes out of the lineup? Does it matter? That's Joe easy. Nieto. <laughs> <laughs> then trade him. That, sure. oh, that's probably what's going to happen. Why not? Because it's the Avs. <laughs> when have they traded More someone away better. at the deadline? When they thought they could get uh, an upgrade? Other than Aginla's farewell favor what if they had someone that other teams wanted at the deadline (laughs) every year except for the trash year i don't know i mean from a buying perspective though like yeah obviously there's the conversations of how they weren't able to sell players but the abs aren't selling anybody now they're buyers bye 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 it's still a mistake okay since i've accidentally brought this topic up (laughs) (laughs) let's just go ahead and and jump to this part of the conversation has anyone's opinion changed on what they want the team to do because i still hope they do nothing i think when you're looking at a second line forming you should be even more confident in doing nothing perfectly comfortable with going out and getting someone like gasha like i said you can go out and get a player that's an rfa that you can control going into the future it can improve your offense immediately, even if it's just drop him in on the third line instead of a Tyson Jost. It, it How makes do you get you better. better from first? What do you mean? Beat yourself. <laughs> you just can be- make those. You don't need the deadline to make those kind of moves, and you're not going to get the best price right now. So, if you're going to go after an RFA, that that another team. The problem is teams aren't just selling dudes all year long. Teams sell at the deadline. Well, the summers when they got the better pieces. When they got Kadri, when they got Burakovsky. Incredibly good in the summer, but 
the NHL is a league where teams want to win now, and and you overpay for that. What what's an overpay for Kasha? Jost in a third. I mean, they're never going to get something for Jost in a third. <laughs> Jost in a twenty twenty one second. I mean, I don't think that's too far off the price of of Kasha. And that immediately improves Tyson Jost in the lineup. And you have Kasha going forward. It's not a buy for this year only type move. So I'd be fine with that. I think Obvi- another team could beat that. If another team can beat it, another team can beat it. Fine. I don't think the Avs should be interested at all in moving their first. Unless it's like some absurd package for like Jack Eichel or whatever, which won't happen. So... Well, I I have said in the past, and I, I continue to say that I would rather improve the defense than try to add more scoring. So it's my the dream same deal. Problem. You have to you have to get rid of somebody if you're getting. And I will because I'm trading Cole for Jake Muzzin. Okay, are you giving up the first <laughs> in that deal or what? <laughs> I wouldn't know. Maybe, no, you, a, maybe you trade Ian Cole Muzzin's for Tyson Muzzin's a UFA. Barry. Oh. I mean, look, how dumb <laughs> is Dubis, I guess, <laughs> is the question we're asking. He, let's see, the problem is Cole doesn't shoot right. It doesn't matter that he can play on the right side. He actually has to shoot right for the Leafs to be interested. Yeah, I don't. I don't foresee any trades with the Leafs. I don't think that's a, even a reasonable guess, to be honest. If you're going to get a defenseman, then you're just going to have to rip the Band-Aid off on their their eventual Zadorov trade. Right, like, how do you... No, if you trade Colts for Muzzin, Muzzin's a UFA, you don't re-sign him, obviously. Right, I mean... And there's your spot for Bo Byram next year. Boom, I've killed three birds with one stone. I think the Avs like their defense too much to do that. We like our guys. We like everything. As sad as it is, I'm expecting them to have to get a goalie. There's no way they do that at the deadline. They need someone for the playoffs. They only have two goalies right now. What do they do? Okay, so do you want to give up? multiple I, I prospects don't. and a first for John Gibson because no. going out and getting oh, no, any no. goalie less than that is like you're just getting they're, the same guy you already had. They're not getting Gibson. There's no way. Then but there's zero reason to go get a goalie. <laughs> you have to have a third goalie when you're going into the playoffs and they have you no third goalie right now. absolutely do not need a third goalie going into the playoffs. If you lose both your goalies going into the playoffs, I'm sorry it's not your year. You can say that about any position. A third goal well, is the playoffs. It's the last twenty point. games of the season. It's and it's stupid. They could have avoided this if they just signed an AHL goaltender in the summer, like every other team does. I don't know why they need these assets to do it, but here we are, where they're not going to be able to go into the playoffs with two NHL goaltenders that are healthy, and maybe one will be back you. by then. He probably will be, but they're they're a not going to want him to sit around and hold the door if if say one of the goaltenders go down, and b they're not going to want to play him in the playoffs. So unless no, I agree with Ruda, hold... this is, that would not be for the playoffs. It's for the last twenty games. You know, if, if why wouldn't if... it be for the playoffs? That's when it matters. What third no. goalie are, yeah, I mean, are you going to pick up that you want to <laughs> yeah. play in the playoffs? 
Exactly. No, I'm saying, you know, if if you want to give, you know, like say Gruby or or Frank gets sick or something like that, just to have a real goalie to sit on the bench during. Well, Werner can back up for. Yeah, if Werner is healthy, then this is then there isn't a problem. I don't think that you can say the playoffs are so important and this is our year and we're going to do everything possible and we're going to look for any marginal advantage. We need a 15th forward and we need to have an extra defenseman because what if someone goes down and we can't play Barbario but just feel like, eh, the goalies are down, fuck it. I just, what what third goalie can you get that's so quality that is There's also not. going to pass through waivers. Like, you are you going to on the Flyers that beat the Avs last Saturday? Why What's would you wave? You don't need to wave a goalie. You have your AHL goalies. Just keep them on the roster. I don't understand how you go get a third goalie. Then I'm confused. Yeah, if we're, I'm, I'm saying only if Warner's like out for the season or something. If Warner's coming back sometime soon, then they're fine. Yeah, my, my only worry I just think is it's if silly to be concerned with having extra depth in in the other positions, but then just to be like, well, if your guys go down, you're fucked anyway because I'm, that's how well, it you is. You kind of are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're, you're not so talking don't... about extra depth in the other positions. You're talking about direct upgrades, not the third left winger on the line. You're talking about a guy that drops into your lineup immediately and is an improvement. It's going to end up being depth is what it's going to end up being. They're not going to get some guy that moves the needle. And they're not going to get a guy that moves the needle in that too, but they're going to end up with more depth. I don't know that they will. If, If they're going out and getting hard bottom six guys, then they just shouldn't do it. If Werner is done for the season, which I don't think we have any idea what's going on there, do we? We sure no, don't. The Eagles don't tell anyone anything. So th- then, yes, it, it makes sense to add something there because you are now down two AHL goalies for the season. Because of yeah, the uh, whole you know, Antoine Thibault experience. That should be almost entirely not NHL relevant, though, barring, like, disaster. Yeah, the thing, there's there's 31 teams in this in this National Hockey League, and if... If you lose two goaltenders, you would expect 31 teams to drop out of the playoffs just based on that. Yeah. Then why do teams have third goalies? Teams win with third goalies. They don't win because they win with their fourth goalie. (laughs) The Avs won with Adam Werner this year. (laughs) Like, you do it because you have to, not because, like, it's an intelligent move to, to have eight goalies on your line. What if you could play eight goalies at a time? That'd be a mess. That you could have two goalies at a time. I don't know if a team ever scores. I mean, the Avs basically do the way Ryan Graves plays, but so and Cole. So Mark Barbario caught his own conditional assignment to the Colorado Eagles this week too. Um, so I know y'all watched that team. But I don't really have the ability to myself. So how did that go? Um, he exists. Barb he was rusty great in the AHL. <laughs> the lack I of wish. structure doesn't help him. So let's just put it that way. He, he he looked like he was starting to shake the rust off a little bit last night after five periods. Yeah, I mean, it's whatever. Barb's performance in the AHL doesn't matter. This is literally just make sure you have game legs just in case. Yeah, and, you know, he's skating and doing that. So I, I don't know what the plan is 
for you know whether he's going to be down there for all I mean, five he can games. Only be down there for five, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've got two games on Tuesday and and Wednesday, so that's that's probably it. Yeah, it is what it is. There, I mean, in a perfect world, the Avs would play Timmins anyway, but they won't do that. Yeah, they shouldn't be have to resort to just having Barbario as their only other option at this point. Well, since he hasn't played in two months, we don't know what they would do if they actually had to play another person. I'm sure they'd play him. He's the next one in line. Unless they'd play Callie Rosen. Yeah. Which they won't. <laughs> no, they won't. Well, that's the whole point of getting Barb's a conditioning stand, is because they want to have him ready to play. Yep. Pretty much. So then which players do we care about about the Eagles lately? What's the... What's the uh... The latest. Shane Bowers is an NHL player right now. He could play in the Avs bottom six today and look fine. Like the kid is ready, and I know the Avs don't want to mix up their lineup, but that kid will be on the roster next year at the latest. He needs yeah. a call up <laughs> for that to happen. Yep. I really don't think he does, but you know. We already know Bednar loves him, unless he just totally craps out next training camp. I don't see how they keep him off the roster. I don't think they're going to make a roster spot for him until they've seen what he can do. Like, they're not going to sit there in July when planning out their depth guys and say, oh, we're just going to make room for this guy who hasn't even received a call up. I'd say Cal looks good, too. If Bowers is an NHL player, so is Cal. Hey, I would agree with you. I, I think Cout could play in the NHL right now as well, but Bowers has the numbers, and the reality is that's just what the Avs look at. I think Cout's been more productive lately. I think over the last couple games, but yeah. It, I mean, it, it is what it is. The hope here is, I've been saying this pretty much since December, that the Avs clinch early enough to where they get a few coast games at the end of the year, and maybe they can get some of these guys in. That would be yeah. a miracle, but then they're reduced to their four non-emergency call-ups, which always seems to be the excuse why nobody can play in March. Yeah, over the last four games, Bowers, Cout, and Timmons have all had three points, and Timmons has had 11 shots on goal, which is really, you know, that that's stout for a defenseman. So he's he's coming back nicely from his, his injury. The odds of the last game of the season, specifically, being worth a damn are, are not very good. So hopefully, at least at that point, there's, there's a couple of players that are coming in and, and, and getting an opportunity to see what the NHL feels like, even if it's not like a, a full environment, because that the last game of the season, like the last two games of the season are against Winnipeg and St. Louis. You, you would expect that to be, again, you know, a playoff team versus a probably non-playoff team at that point in Winnipeg. And then... Game 82 against St. Louis, where both teams probably have no stakes in that game whatsoever. The let's not get hurt game. Yeah. Well, the other excuse <laughs> is that the Eagles are looking to be a playoff team, and then they're just going to say, leave them down there so that they can win with the Eagles. I don't, and they will. Like, they probably will, but they can play a few games in the NHL and then still come back for the AHL playoffs. Yeah. Just true, because they only play on the weekend, but that'll be another excuse in March. 
there's, there's always an excuse in March, and we're going to get to March in a second. Um, first of all, I need to remind everybody to, uh, now that we've moved away from the deadline conversations, I need, need to bring it back one more time. Don't forget to hang out with us on deadline day on the Burgundy Review Discord. I'll be all there. Be, be all there all day. Blah, 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 blah. I'll be there all day. Other folks will be in and out. I know people have, you know, jobs and lives and stuff. Uh, once the trades look done, listen in as we record the proper episode of Burgundy Radio for the week sometime in the mid-afternoon-ish. We'll, we'll have a more exact time as the day approaches. So later next week, Colorado head out under the lights to take on the LA Kings. Are y'all looking forward to the Stadium Series game? In the shadow of Pikes Peak with military imagery at every spare moment? <laughs> on my television, yes. I'm looking forward to watching it. Um, yeah, I think it'll, it'll be cool. It's not a, you know, it's not a great opponent, but, you know. It's not even a good opponent. Nope. <laughs> I do enjoy having a special event, or whatever you want to call it. At this point of the year, the games get a little routine, a little mundane. We're not to the, the playoff push enough so it's nice to have something different i don't mind that they do weird things with the uniforms or whatever it's different right so it's at least it's something unique for the those season those helmets sure are different <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if that's true or not i, I mean, don't they had mckinnon, the had mckinnon yeah. wearing the C in that photo so yeah that's wacky we'll see about that <laughs> i i feel like this whole uh, not the jersey, but the logo was designed for everything but the jersey. Yeah, the, the <laughs> like jersey. it looks yeah. fine on hats. It looks fine on helmets. It looks fine on shoulders. On the jersey, it looks awful. It just it stretched it so bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah if they the just would have cool. left it, if they'd even made it large, but they just didn't stretch it all the way, it probably would have been fine. But we haven't seen the Kings yet this year, so who I know are Which terrible. Is weird. But weird. we haven't seen him yet, so we'll see what that's like. The weather's been crap here lately, so there might be a decent chance of snow. If there's not, you know there'll games. be fake snow blowing all over the place. That's true. <laughs> I just <laughs> outdoor games make for terrible hockey. Like the hockey's never good. That's that's my main like trepidation about this game is LA are a non-good team that Colorado should be able to just skate circles around, but when you're on outdoor crunchy ice, the amount of playmaking you can do is a little bit more limited. It's a really very neutralizing factor, and I'm not happy. Yeah. I found out this week that the ice outdoors is two inches thick, and it's only an inch and a quarter at the Pepsi Center. So that's cool. I guess that's a fun fact. Makes sense. <laughs> I'm sure that helps solve a little bit of the problems if it's warm, but even then the ice is bad, and if it's cold and snowy, then the snow piles up and the game slows down to this total sludge fest. And yeah, I I don't get the fascination with outdoor games. The event is cool, but eh. I'm glad I saw the game at Coors Field, but it's this game is not easy logistically for Denver residents. Traffic's really bad in Colorado Springs, or the parking's going to be a bad situation. So it's it's kind of for everyone else. Then I feel like it's not really a Denver event. 
which is fine. That's <laughs> why I'm watching it on TV. I'm not really sure if distant people understand exactly how long of a trip it is from Denver to, to Springs. Like, they're they're not close. They're in the same area, but they're not close. I mean, they're not that far. It's just the traffic that makes it a nightmare. Yeah, and I think Loveland's closer, but... It's probably about the same. Yeah, it depends who you're leaving from, so... So before we get too much into next week specifically, let's take a minute to look at the rest of the season generally. Because in the stats community online, some of the models have Colorado projected to win the West now. So let's look at the games the Avs have coming up and figure out why that is. So... One factor is the home road split. Colorado have no road trips left longer than three games, and all those trips are against at least two teams that are outside the playoff picture. So, that helps. They also have 16 home games remaining to only 12 on the road, not counting the Minnesota game that's happened for you, but not for us. Most of the road games they... Or most of the home games, what that's supposed to be, that that they have left against playoff teams are... uh, Against Pacific Division teams, who, as we saw earlier, the bar is much lower for playoffs entry there. There's home game matchups with Ottawa, L.A., Buffalo, Anaheim, the Rangers, the Sharks, Montreal, Arizona. Like, they do have Tampa and Washington and the Islanders this month, but after that, March's a much softer schedule. By the time Winnipeg and St. Louis stop by Denver, it's April, and the standings are probably pretty set. So, I mean, what do y'all think? Up against a not-terrifying schedule to close out the season, not can, will... Colorado catch the St. Louis Blues and win the West. No. That's tough. I, I mean, I, I think the I think it's set up pretty well for the Avs to continue on the path that they're on. I, I, for me, St. Louis is a little more of a variable there. Oh, I think them taking care of business against the likes of Ottawa and Buffalo this week give, and San Jose before the break, give that encouragement that they will continue to do well against poor teams so that part i don't disagree with i just don't think st louis and i don't really think they need to i'd like them to stay ahead of dallas and i think the worst case scenario is dallas passing st louis that is the worst case scenario but yeah do the abs really need unless the abs are in first yeah then it's fine (laughs) to win the division win win the west so it like earl said if they continue where they are right now maybe get a little bit more distance from dallas i think that would be a good plan i think it's pretty tough to create any kind of distance with where they are i i just i, I think that dallas <clears throat> you know that's something unless they have big injury trouble you're pretty much going to be fairly close but probably no cigar to the avs you know, it should kind of play out the way it is now. You know, and a lot of it depends on, you know, Tarasenko coming back for St. Louis. What's that do to them? And, you know, is it are they going to grind out the rest of the season or will they have some goalie troubles, which it looks like they could have? And, you know, that there's definitely some variables with St. Louis you really can't predict right now. And the rentals, right? Everyone's rentals going to make all the difference. Oh, yeah. Have St. Louis still been playing Jordan Bennington a lot? Yeah, so. try to. Because <laughs> if they keep doing that, there's a chance. Yeah, turns out Jordan Bennington might be the guy everybody thought he was. 
Does the schedule against teams that aren't as good in the run-up to the playoffs worry you at all? Nah. No. This is this is a team that knows what it takes in the playoffs now. They've been there. It's they they don't need to keep their foot on the gas, I don't think. I mean, yeah, they can't 13. take it all the way off like Tampa did last year, but they'll be all right. <laughs> I am interested. Yeah, they're 13 points ahead of where they were at this point last year, so they've got they've got a big cushion as far as you know, if they have a, a hiccup for a week or two, they can overcome that. All right. I am in, interested to see them against pretty soon coming up. We have Washington, Tampa, and the Islanders. Right. I think that'll I mean, be interesting yeah. to see how they look against those teams. They're what could be their best friend could also be their worst enemy with what's left of the schedule in that they just play every other day for basically the entire rest of the year. They have one two-day break left, and if they're rolling, that's going to work out great for them. If they get into a slump, if they start to struggle, they're going to gas out, and it might get ugly. They do have a three-day break left. It just doesn't feel like it because that second day is the trade deadline. Woohoo! Oh, great. Awesome. <laughs> I think there's enough. Like the Arizona game, that's not going to be easy. Or Vegas, they have another one against Vegas. So, and Van- they have a couple against Vancouver, another against Edmonton. So there's there's some good matchups in there. Yeah, but you're, I think you're it's not a good seeing... variety. It's a it's a good way to prep for what they need to do in the playoffs. Yeah, you're just not seeing a lot of your St. Louis's and like they do play Washington and Tampa once, but once. But yeah, the div- the way the divisional schedule is, I believe they're done with Dallas. Like you said, that the St. Louis game is the last game of the year, so essentially they're done with St. Louis. They yeah. just played Nashville like four times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Nashville's the only team they haven't seen. So yeah, in, in essence, the division schedule's done except for Nashville. I believe do they have one more against Minnesota after the game that's happened. Yeah, I think they have one, one in more, March against Minnesota. I will click one time and be able to see. Uh, yep, they have another. <laughs> ho- they they have two games left yeah. in Minnesota, including the one that's already happened. And it feels like they played every game in Minnesota, right? To me, yeah. it feels like they played like f- if, if you're <laughs> counting this game and another, it feels like they played four games in Minnesota. But it is a weird divisional schedule, so that part's kind of weird, but. It probably yeah, it's that's up something fine they for fix them. when Seattle comes in the league. <laughs> Get ready for yep. overtime. That's all I'm saying. Ugh. Second half Central Division games are three point games. Yeah, let's 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 stop thinking about games going into overtime just because neither team wants to lose a point and do stars and scratches instead. Um, the first star of the week goes from me to Kale McCarr. We kid's a beast. We, we're going to talk a little bit more about him than we actually did. So now is the time to. Sit around and hail Kale. I, yeah, it's almost deep. like what can you say about him because he's just, you know, we've just talked about the skill, his intelligence, his skating, the way he can impact a game. For me, that's like the fun thing is just to see when Kale decides to take over a game, and that's definitely scary for opponents for the next 10, 15, 20 years. It yeah, is crazy think... that they've made it that race with Hughes, which I guess makes sense. It's better for the media to have a race. 
but it's still like Hughes has played ten more games, but we'll see how that shakes out. Um, I think I've seen that really impressed me about Makar is when you have a when you have a game like against Columbus on Saturday night where the team is kind of struggling to get the puck where it needs to go to score and whatnot. He's starting to find ways to be creative with it. He was the only he was the only player on the Avs that got a shot below the circles, like I said. Um, he will do what it takes offensively, whatever, um, to to get the to get the team on track. And, and I think this is something that, like, two or three years from now, we're really going to see, as far as a guy that can sort of change the entire team's frame of mind or style of play. Yeah, he hit two posts against Columbus. Not on the uh, that, same shot. Not on the and same I'm... shot. Not like Burakovsky. Uh, that brings him to 14 posts on the season. <laughs> That's crazy. If he scores half of those, he's a 20 goal scorer. Do you have any idea who, who is second with the mo- second most posts? Like, is he by far the most? Uh, it's yeah, gotta be no, Mac. It, it's not close. <laughs> like, I think Mac might have like eight or nine. Yeah, and there's somebody who tracks posts league wide, but their numbers usually don't match up with what we see. Yeah, no, their numbers are terrible. <laughs> I'm not even sure whose it is. <laughs> Zadorov might know. <laughs> and Makar certainly deserved more points than he got this week. There, there was the one that the pa- the puck bounced off of Nuke and took Makar's assist away in one of the games. <laughs> and I think it, it was the Ottawa game. So many great outlet passes that they just didn't finish. It was like he deserved way more points in that game. What do you want? Like fifteen goals? Yeah. <laughs> Duh. Come on, you gotta finish for Kale if you yeah, wanted to win. Two goal, extra points. Finish. Look, hey, the that's that stuff uh, that stuff adds up. He's gotta he's gotta finish out of Hughes to get the Calder. <laughs> More stars. We want him to have his historic sixty points. But for me, my star is Burakovsky. He's been great this week. He's been great pretty much since the beginning of 2020 and he he's a big reason why that second line is going even though everybody's contributed but he he definitely deserves a star yeah he would have been mine too um you know i know it's buffalo and everything but a four-point game yeah that's that's it sounds sort of routine with the way the Avs score but that's a pretty big achievement for a guy like berkey it's hard to beat that. I mean, he's the second most producing forward on the team. so. And he's already passed his career high in points. Yep. Tied and his career high in goals. It's... And he's getting those points at 5-on-5. Five five. Yeah. Because we don't score on the power play. Well, his unit certainly doesn't score. <laughs> well, if y'all all had the same second star, I can come up with a third star. I mean, you can give it to the rest of the line and like, Nuke and Kadri. I mean, you can do that, or you can give it to Philip Grubauer, who allowed three yeah. goals in three games. Yeah, that's the guy that's... to give it to. Like, I know some of those games were easy for him, but that's what the Avs need out of him. He 
you give up one goal a game, I don't care if it's the softest goal in the league. If you only give up one, that you should win every single game. Right. Definitely. And, and I, I think both Grubauer and, and Fransuz get tagged with, with letting in bad goals. But again, when it's only one, that's fine. Grubauer doesn't usually give up bad goals is the thing. Like, his low danger numbers are way up there league-wide. His, where he lets in goals is he doesn't stop as many as the of the really dangerous chances. So, seeing him give up... Because he goes for the poke check! Woohoo! <laughs> hey, it worked the other night. No it knock it. It sure did. I couldn't believe it. But, like, seeing him give up a goal like he did to Columbus was just like, ah, what is this? Yeah, that was... Uh, he had a clean look at that one. And... Just because it's so... Like, and it feels that bad because it's so abnormal for him. Like, he, those are the pucks that he stops 99% of. And I guess that was the 100th shot. I don't know. But it's hard, real hard to argue with a one goal a game pace. And an even strength. Agreed. Scratch your nose. Okay. Uh... Yeah. Hang on. I have to look up a number. So uh, Tyson Jost gets a scratch. But if you're going to have it right now, then do it. Like, I, he, I don't even think he's played that bad. He got a point this week, but it has been 69 nice days since <laughs> Jost last goal. <laughs> totally even worth looking up that number now. <laughs> you know, he lost his, his goal to Burkowski the other. Yep. So there wasn't a goal. So uh, two and a half months almost without a goal is just, you got to be able to score in the NHL. You just have to. Yeah, it's the chicken or the egg. It's, is it he's playing such low minutes? I think he played six minutes yesterday. So that's... He also had 10 against Ottawa, 13 against Buffalo... 12 against Detroit. And it's a hard thing because his process is very good. He does a lot of good things, but at a certain point, you got to score. Yeah. The point of the process... T- I mean, they've, they've taken away his his centership again. He's on the wing with Belmar, so... That doesn't help him. At all. No. And it's, it's not just being on the wing. It's just bouncing around like that. It's just... I, I think it's tough for him... Being in the situation he is with not scoring in 69 days, and he's just bouncing around. And, and you know, a, a, an older player might be used to that, an older role player. Um, but he's obviously just, you know, he's, he's not able to, to adapt that quickly. I think we've seen him be worse on the wing pretty much every time he's been placed on the wing. So I definitely do think that affects his game quite quite a bit. Um, but like the, the point of the process is to keep yourself the best chance possible to you know produce points to discontinue saying way too many p words um like the the point is to give yourself and your line scoring chances and the point of that is to get goals and if the goals are just not coming then all the process in the world is like well you're not giving up chances you're not hurting but what do you do here yeah pretty much uh- um, it's it's kind of beating a, a a horse we've we've already taken a few whacks at, but my scratch would be Graves. Uh, there are a couple games this week where it was obvious that he was 
he or he and Makar, perhaps, it's hard to separate the two since they're always together, but that they were kind of a drag um, when the other defensive pairs were really stepping it up. So, um, you know, hopefully this is something the staff is looking into and, and, you know, maybe we'll see some changes. I guess I'd have to say my scratch is Landeskog for the reasons that we discussed earlier as well, is he's, he's really not producing... And when he plays like he did, especially against Ottawa, he's, what is he really adding to the team? And it's hard to say. And like we said, it's probably injury related or whatever. Like, I don't think he's just fallen off the cliff or something, but it just hasn't been good enough this week for Landy. I mean, it feels good that all the scratches have points this week. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's tough to come up with these scratches, right? Yeah, I mean, they, when you they win, also won three games in a row. When you win three games out of four, and those wins are by a combined score of 12 to three, it's really tough to find a scratch. Like, that's. Like, <laughs> y'all have taken everyone that I could have possibly thought of, so I'll just scratch the officiating crew from the game against Columbus because what the oh, fuck? Oh, yeah. Scratch them into the sun. My God. That game yeah. was disastrous I- for stripes. Even the ridiculous fans in, in the New York Islanders arena couldn't cheer for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they took a game that was hard to watch and made it worse. It's just, it's not doing your job. Coming up this week, Colorado opened a quasi five game homestand starting on Tuesday with the rematch against the Ottawa senators, seven o'clock mountain. Then on Thursday, it's the president's trophy favorite Washington capitals with Alex Ovechkin probably looking for a 700th goal. He's at 698 as we speak, and they have one game between then and now. Finally, on Saturday, Colorado are technically the home team for their stadium series matchup against the LA Kings at the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. That game's at 6 o'clock Mountain on Big NBC. So that's three games, two and a half at home, one great team and two baddies. Predict me some points. Nobody knows five six five points. I'm gonna go six. They always beat the Caps at home, and the other two should be wins. I'll go four. I think the OV seven hundred in overtime is the recipe for sadness but happiness. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ottawa, you gotta win that. L.A., I don't care if it's outdoors, you gotta win that. I'll say the win the first two, and then the outdoor game is just going to be messy. I'll find a way to lose that one. Like I almost think. Oh, and they... two in outdoor games, they'll never get yeah. another one. Like I almost <laughs> think fine. that's why they got the Kings, because <laughs> they knew the Kings were going to be bad, and they would have a good chance of winning outdoors this time. <laughs> I don't think anyone actually expected LA to be as bad as they are. Like we didn't think they were a playoff team, but we didn't think they were this. Sure, but you know they thought they'd get an easier team than playing someone like, I don't know, Minnesota or something, who's like Vegas. a borderline playoff team. A Vegas would have been so much fun, though. Yeah, Vegas is what, what I was have... for. I feel like yeah. an outdoor game would just ruin that matchup. Ah, the, the I don't know, I like that. Vegas, so it would have been fine with me. So I definitely think that the... Uh, the six points as possible because like Earl says Washington can't seem to win in Denver but 
this is also like the best team in the National Hockey League you're talking about here, so four points is a much safer choice. So that's where I'm gonna go. Um, Safe and, as death. And and then just so we can be super super wrong, what do you think happens tonight? Because I think the game against Minnesota is gonna be absolutely terrible. You've got two teams that are yeah, on their third cool. game in four nights. One of them just tr- is on a traveling back to back. I think that game's gonna suck. I think the Avs are going to do okay. I don't know if they'll win or not, but I, I, I think they'll do a lot better than say they did in the Philadelphia game. This is uh, this is some caster stuff right here. Tyson Jost scoring a hat trick with three assists from Ryan Graves. Wow, Kiefer, that's a good one. <laughs> and Landy is going to like put two barn down or something. Is, is that your pregame premonition? Yeah, sure. <laughs> My hashtag unsponsored pregame premonition. Yeah, exactly. This feels like the game Landy's gonna prove us wrong. I don't know. I think I think this is gonna be bad. They Minnesota has a really good record at home. And um doesn't set up well for them. It yesterday was a tough game. That was hard, it was physical, it was mentally taxing. And it um, was. but they came out on on the good end of it, which which makes it a little yeah. bit more satisfying to come out of. That that's that's part of why I'm a little optimistic about today is that you know they did something or perhaps two things that they haven't done so far this year. Um, <clears throat> as far as you know, a third period comeback and winning a game that they didn't score three in. So you know maybe maybe those are two dragons they slayed and they're going to play off that and and just go pure adrenaline for this one maybe they'll just never I lose expect, again they could I do that a good game from McCarr. he was awesome against minnesota last time yeah so i think he's going to be the one with some energy so i really don't know how this game turns out other than i really just think it's going to be chunky and gross and hard to watch but <laughs> <laughs> Whatever does end up being the result, you know you can find out here. The show's called Burgundy Radio, which you know because you're listening to it. You can find it on Apple's podcast. You can find it in the Google Play pod- podcast area. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on SoundCloud. You can find it wherever your phone or... Like, I mean, does anyone have non-iPod MP3 players anywhere now that we have phones with storage on them? Like, pretty much no, right? You can, well, you can find the show there. Um... We will be back next week. It is very, very busy schedule time, which means it is very, very busy podcast time. We will be at you every week until the Avalanche are done, unless there's some like really big break between playoff series or something. Keep your head up, get the dirty areas, and we will see you next time. No, because. They'll, they'll put the the rampage and whatever they're gonna be the silver knights or whatever they are. The they'll they'll knights. move them into. <laughs> God, that's good. That that's, that's good. what they said. They, they said they're gonna be silver knights. That's so oh, they good. did. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know that, but. Um, oh, you think that was just a, like a fan thing? I don't know. I just said it because <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> it se- seemed like if you're the Golden Knights, then your AHL team would be the Silver Knights. But. <laughs>